Last year, I said our friends at FanDuel were dumb. They were being preposterous when they set the win total for TCU football at seven and a half. Over under seven and a half. Hammer the over for seven and a half. That's what I said last offseason. I was wrong about that. Just by just by a little bit. Frogs end up with five wins. Same win total this year on FanDuel. Over under seven and a half wins for the Frogs. We'll talk about it next here on Lockdown Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also subscribe. Wherever it is you listen to podcast and its audio variety. So last offseason, when I was talking about TCU and previewing the year, the over-under for win totals on FanDuel. So you could bet on FanDuel over-under seven and a half wins for TCU. And I was pretty confident. I mean, I, I said it many times throughout the offseason. And I got to do a, a number of different shows, which was nice, where people asked me, okay, what are expectations for TCU? They're coming off a national championship uh, appearance right the, the previous season a magical year and I thought even with all the turnover with the changes with a new OC with a lot of new faces surely they'll get to eight wins like eight wins seems like an absolute slam dunk and I would go through the schedule and I thought to myself they'll be three and oh after the non-conference season which wasn't true because they immediately lost to Colorado I was confident they were going to win eight games we are now going into a new year and honestly I'm optimistic about this TCU team. This might be the team that I I have the least amount of feel for what they're going to do. And I guess I could have said that two years ago when Sonny Dykes was the new coach because it was his first season after Gary Patterson's very long tenure, two decades plus. And so there were a lot of questions there. I like the returning production that they have. I like what they brought in in the transfer portal. But I'm being a little more skeptical this season because, honestly, I kind of got burned last year. And it, it sort of recalibrated my expectations. Okay, in year one of the Sonny Dykes era, we had a, a veteran team that maybe avoided what we would call the traditional rebuild. Typically, coaches step into a new situation, and it's immediately a rebuild or a retool type of um, spot because you have a lot of young guys, you have a lot of roster turnover. And TCU benefited from having a number of players who had game experience and stepped up in a big way, and that coaching staff got the most out of them. Then last year, we sort of regressed back to the mean, and unfortunately, like the median average of wins for TCU football over the past five years has been five wins. They've been a 5-17 and 17 more often than not in the past five or six seasons. And so now we go into a new season – with what I think everyone would agree is a more favorable schedule. Texas and Oklahoma are not there. You're avoiding Kansas State this year. You're avoiding Iowa State this season. But you still got some tough games. You go on the road to Kansas. You go on the road to Utah. You play Oklahoma State and Texas Tech at home. You get Baylor on the road, which they've dominated the Bears the last decade. But that's always a tricky game because it's a rivalry game. And that win total is still sitting at 7.5. So... I'm I'm saying today, as of you know, pre-spring ball, just kind of looking at this roster, where we're at. 
I think they're going to go over. I feel like looking at the schedule right now, they win eight games. So I'm not saying, you know, hammer that over like I did last season, but I think there's eight wins on the schedule. How do they do it? Well, let's look at the schedule and break it down. And so I, I think the biggest key here, one thing, maybe not the biggest key, but one thing that has been a, uh, a, a kind of a consistent theme with TCU football, when they've had disappointing seasons, when they finished five and seven in the last few years, dropping a non-conference game. So last season, they lost to Colorado. Now they recovered nicely after that and won three in a row. They took care of business against Nickel State. They beat Houston. They beat SMU. But they still dropped that first game of the season, which doesn't seem like a big deal. But getting out of your non-conference schedule unscathed is significant. And then in in the last few years of the Gary Patterson era, when they finished five and seven, dropped non-conference games to SMU. So what does a non-conference slate look like this year for the Frogs? Well, they'll start the season on a Friday night on the road against Stanford. Then they play Long Island University at home. That's the FCS kind of glorified scrimmage type of game. They actually have a conference game against UCF like they did last year when they played Houston in that third week of the season. And they they close out non-conference play by going to Dallas and playing SMU. Bill Conley came out with his S&P Plus rankings yesterday. And S&P Plus is an algorithm. It's a, a system that he came up with that factors in a lot of different things, you know, recruiting rankings, uh, returning production, last season's results, and it compiles them. And it's essentially just a power ranking. But it's using an objective formula of sorts instead of just an eye test, right? And so he has TCU, or his system has TCU as 32nd in the country. SMU is 27th. SMU will technically be a Power 5 team this year, and they'll be in the ACC. I'm actually more concerned about the Stanford game than I am the SMU game, and I'll tell you why. And I'm sure SMU people, if you're watching this, will kind of roll your eyes. However, I still think this is going to be a big adjustment for SMU. They had a great season last year. They won the American Conference. They ran through their conference schedule, but – they lost to all the Power 5 teams on their schedule. They lost to Oklahoma. Now, granted, that was a close football game. TCU took care of business at home against them. I think the help of that game was in Fort Worth, but it was never really super competitive after the first quarter. I believe it was a one-score game at halftime, but TCU quickly took control in the second half. And then they got beat by Boston College pretty soundly in the Fenway Bowl. Now, they, Preston Stone was out, but still – they won an American Conference Championship without Preston Stone. They ended up losing their bowl game by a pretty wide margin against a limited Boston College team that had finished 6-6 six and six in the ACC. And they lost that game, and they lost all the Power 5 opponents on their schedule. But going back to what this matchup has been in the history, typically when TCU has tripped up and dropped a game, it's been because either they got caught you know, on a weird week, bad week, not prepared properly, or I still believe this wholeheartedly. I think Sonny Dykes, when he was at SMU, he really wanted the TCU job. He spent a season at TCU in Fort Worth as an analyst, and he openly admitted this after the fact. He was like, that opened his eyes to the potential of that program. 
he looked around. He was like, man, you can do some special things here. You're in a great location in DFW. It's a power five school. It's in the big 12. There's a lot of advantages to being at TCU. It's a place where the administration understands and cares and prioritizes winning in athletics and using resources to do that. And I think especially since he was coming from Cal, which doesn't really fall in that category, he was probably super juiced up after seeing that. But he knew how important that game was for SMU people. And I think he also knew if he could find a way to win those games, it would be impressive to the TCU administration, even though it was frustrating at the time with those losses. And so in both those years that SMU came into Fort Worth and knocked off TCU was a huge deal. And you could tell they were ready for that game. They were prepared. They had different schematic wrinkles. The team was ready to roll. And even so, they were pretty close games. Now, that last season in 2021, I think it ended up being a one-score game, but SMU kind of controlled that ball game for the most part. Uh, the 2019 game, TC made a furious comeback and had a chance to at least tie it at the end of regulation, but couldn't move down the field even though they had good field position and, and just couldn't close it out. But anyway, Sonny understands the iron skillet rivalry. He understands everything that goes into it. I think he's going to have TCU prepared. In both times that he's played SMU at TCU, now a couple of years ago when they went to Dallas, that ended up being a close football game. They kind of messed around in the second half, didn't close out that game in the way that you would like. And I think they were going to punt, and SMU had a chance to go down and score, but the Mustangs had a really silly penalty, stupid penalty, and ended up giving TCU a first down, and they just sat on the ball and won the game. But last season, which was a disappointment for TCU, they handled their business against SMU. I mean, they really did everything they were supposed to do. So I feel pretty good about that ball game. I'm a little concerned about going on the road to Stanford Friday night, opening the season. I just hope the team is focused and they're playing at a high level to begin the year because Stanford's not a great team, but that's still a power five program. And if you're not ready to roll, then you can get beat. But I think there's a good chance this team starts 4-0. UCF is solid. K.J. Jefferson, I think, is a good quarterback. Gus Malzahn is going to use him in some really cool and effective ways, especially his dual threat ability. But having that game at home, I think, is going to be really beneficial for TCU. So if you start 4-0, you're like, well, man, I'm feeling pretty good about going over the 7.5 total. But then the schedule ramps up. You go to Kansas. Now, one thing that's interesting about playing Kansas on the road they're building a new or they're renovating their football stadium. So that game's actually going to be at Arrowhead, which I think could work to TCU's advantage because Arrowhead is a there's a great atmosphere there for Chiefs games. Those Chiefs fans are almost like college football fans, the way they get loud and make make it a true home field advantage. But I'm not sure Kansas fans are going to fill up that stadium. This might get clipped and thrown around, but to me, that's still like I know they're getting into football. They care about football, but that's a basketball school. I think there's a good chance there's a lot of casual fans that are just there because it's like, hey, college football game in an NFL stadium. That's a cool, that's a cool deal. I want to see that. But are those people going to be as passionate and as loud as typically your Kansas fans would be? I feel like that could work to TCU's advantage in some ways, with it not being on campus. However, Lance Leipold, good coach. Jalen Daniels, if he can stay uh, healthy has been a special player. 
at the moment, I don't feel good about winning that football game. So if I had to predict, I would say that's probably a loss. Houston at home, Willie Fritz, new head coach. That's going to be a good one. I think Willie Fritz is a good coach. I like getting them, though, in year one early in the season. I think TCU should win. Now, you go to Utah, but you get a bye week. So hopefully that's a helpful thing. Cam Rising coming back from an injury. Kyle Whittingham, really good coach. That Utah defense, always good, always physical. I feel like that's a loss, too. So you're talking about a 5-2 and two team when you play Texas Tech in late October at home. This, to me, is the toughest game to predict because big positive that you're not playing that in Lubbock. And Tech, honestly, like they have some returning production, but they really reworked this team. Baron Morton will be back, the quarterback. I feel like it's honestly going to come down to which QB in year two of being a full-time starter is most comfortable. Um, but I'll give I'll give TCU the edge there. So you got six wins. I think they went at Baylor uh, against Dave Aranda and Gary Patterson, which gives you seven. Um, I'm not feeling great about a win against Oklahoma State, even though that game is at home. So Oklahoma State's got a lot coming back. I mean, they're they're taking advantage of this COVID year. Mike Gundy, he somehow got the mat, got that team to a conference title game. I feel like the Pokes are going to be good. Maybe not as good as they were last year, but I think they're going to be a solid football team. So I feel like that's a loss. Now you're seven and three. Now you're getting off week before you host Arizona, and I could definitely see that as a win. But even with a new head coach. I feel pretty good about what Arizona's got coming back, and I think they're going to be a solid football team. So at that point, if you lose that game, you're seven and four, and then you're counting on going on the road to Cincinnati to win. And if you win that, you're eight and four, and that that puts you over seven and a half. But I mean, you're you're right there, right? You're on the line. Here's what I'll say: if they go under seven and a half, which means seven wins or less. Now, six or seven wins, I think you're disappointed, but you probably live with one more year. Six wins, maybe not. Five or six wins, I feel like we're talking about a new coaching staff next season, To be just to be frank about it. But I think eight wins is definitely obtainable. I think nine or ten wins is obtainable if things break right. And if you're talking about that happening, then there's a decent chance you're in Arlington, which I think would be a huge deal considering this team is kind of shuffling some things around. I want to believe everybody. I'm just, I'm, I'm a little skeptical and it's not just because of last season. It's okay. How are you going to get this offensive line to a place where they're rolling again? How are you, how's Josh Hoover going to look in year two? How are teams going to adjust to him after having some film on him? What's this defense going to be like in year one under Andy Avalos? They're probably going to give up some big plays. Hopefully they can, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, make some big plays themselves, force some turnovers, get some big stops. But I feel like it's just going to be kind of an up-and-down year given a lot of the turnover that you've had and some of the changes. I feel good, though, about going over seven and a half wins, even if it's just right there on the edge. When we come back, a lot of sports this weekend, football and basketball. So we'll talk about that next year on Lockdown Horn Frogs, your team every day. We were just talking about them. FanDuel, they got over-under win totals for every Big 12 team, every Power 5 team in the country. So you can check that out and bet on that if you want. And right now they have a deal. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning 
$5 bet. So you got to win that $5 bet, but you just got to put $5 down. You win that bet, you get $150 in bonus bets. You can bet on your favorite NBA players and teams. They have quick bets, same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. You can download the FanDuel app or go to fanduel.com slash locked on. Again, new customers up to $150 in bonus bets with one winning $5 bet. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. NBA games going on all across the country, MLB coming up soon, and then college football win totals, NFL win totals will drop shortly too, even though the season just ended because football is a year-long thing. FanDuel.com slash locked on $150 in bonus bets with one winning $5 bet. FanDuel, official betting partner of the NBA and proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. So TCU basketball plays tomorrow. TCU baseball actually kicks off their season opening day is today. First pitch against Florida Gulf Coast at 6.30. Peyton Tole going to take the mound um, for the Frogs. Should be fun. I'm excited about this team. I do want to quickly, though, I'm recording this at like 9 a.m. on Friday morning. And so TCU tennis is in action. They are trying to defend their indoor ITA national championship. They've won back-to-back national titles at this indoor ITA tournament. Uh, They won their doubles point against Arizona State in the first round, and it looks like they are up on four of the five courts in the singles matches at the moment. Now it's just set one, so you got to win two sets to get a victory, but feeling pretty good about where they're at right now. As, uh, yeah, David Roditi's squad, they're trying to win another national title in indoor tennis three in a row, which would be pretty incredible if they could pull that off and somehow get that done. Good luck to them as they uh, try to, to win another championship and bring more hardware back to Fort Worth at the Indoor Tennis Championships, sponsored by uh, the ITA. So, TCU baseball and basketball in action this weekend. Basketball team – Six and five in conference play. The men's basketball team after defeating West Virginia um, on Monday, and they take on Kansas State on the road, and it's an early tip. Um, it's going to be an 11 a.m. tip for the Frogs against Kansas State at the Octagon of Doom, Jerome Tang's team. Kansas State's had sort of an up-and-down season. Uh, they started off Big 12 play really well. They actually knocked off Baylor at home. Now they've lost four of five. But they did beat Kansas in a huge, you know, rivalry game at home on Big Monday last week. They're coming off a loss to BYU, though. Um, this Kansas State team, they're led by Cam Carter, who's averaging 15 points a game. Tyler Perry with 14.8 points per game. And Perry also leads the team in assists. They're scoring about 71 points per game, 31% from three, 43% from the field. Um, as is typical for Jerome Tang teams. They play good defense. So, again, the energy and the defense is going to be a huge key for this TCU basketball team. They have really struggled for, I mean, really stretches in just about every game this year on the defensive side of the ball, rotating well, limiting backdoor cuts. It feels like guys are really overhelping on the perimeter, um, just doing too much, not getting back, not rotating and communicating properly, and then getting beat on the backside. Um, And so that's been an issue for this team all season. Rebounding has been an issue at times. And scoring-wise, I mean, they've done okay. Like, they've scored the ball pretty well. Now, it's been 
somebody different almost each and every night. I mean, Emmanuel Miller has been pretty pretty consistent. Micah Peavy has been pretty consistent. From the guard position, they've really gone back and forth between Avery Anderson and Jameer Nelson Jr. Um, Trey Tennyson is a great knockdown shooter, and he's been a really good bright spot for the team all season. But if you can go on the road and win this game, it'd be huge. Now, one thing that shocks me, I was checking out Bracketology this week. Joe Lenardi has TCU as one of the last four teams in at the moment. Now, things are going to change over the next month. But I really thought if you can find a way to get to nine wins in conference play, which would mean they got to win three more games here, finish nine and nine in conference, you're not sweating selection Sunday as all at all as a Big 12 team because the Big 12 is such a tough, tough league. So I don't know if he's projecting who he thinks they're going to lose to down the stretch. Maybe he doesn't see that happening. But, man, if you're a 500 team in the Big 12, I don't feel like you should be wondering whether or not you're in the tournament. Now, it'll probably be a low seed like they have been in the past, which is unfortunate because that's been you know part of their kryptonite and those round two matchups is just playing really good teams. But I was surprised to see that Joe Lenardi had them as one of the last four teams in, given their 6-5 and five record so far in conference play. So a win against Kansas State would be good just to keep that momentum going and keep uh, padding those dubs as much as possible. The women play Cincinnati at 1 o'clock, so hopefully they can get back to their winning ways. Had a really tough game against West Virginia on Tuesday, lost 77-52. to Again, Mark Campbell's team, just not a lot of depth, you know, playing with, with all the injuries, especially to key players. But they've kind of found a way to stay competitive in a lot of these games, which is uh, really good for the program. Baseball-wise, tonight, season getting underway. Top five-ranked TCU baseball taking on Florida Gulf Coast. Florida Gulf Coast won 40-plus games last year. I think they won 42 games. Um, they play in the Atlantic Sun Conference. They're a good ball club. But you hope this is a, a business-like series for the Frogs. I saw the, the Lupton Drinking Club guys reported Ryder Robinson is going to be a starting third baseman. That was one of the position battles that people were watching. Brody Green, I know, had a good fall. Um, but Ryder Robinson, the freshman, he's going to be there at third base. I think he played second base in high school, but he's capable of playing all the infield positions. And it looks like his bat was just so good through the fall and the spring. They had to find a way to put him in the lineup. Excited for TCU baseball. Kicks off tonight against Florida Gulf Coast, three-game series, but that first game at 630 uh, on ESPN Plus and on 88.7 KTCU. When we come back, some exciting news in the video game world. I'll tell you what that is next here on Lockdown Horn Frogs. If you need tickets, you need to go to Game Time. Download the Game Time app. They still got this code locked on. Get you $20 off your first purchase. If you need last-minute tickets, if you're thinking, oh, man, I wanted to do something this weekend, I didn't do a great job of planning, Game Time is the best place to get last-minute tickets. You can even get a ticket an hour after the event starts. They'll still let you buy them, and they usually have flash deals uh, where they're cutting it down to the bare bones just to try to get them sold. So make sure you check that out on the Game Time app. app is easy to use. It shows you exactly uh, what your view is going to be from your seat. Game Time, download the app today. Use that promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off uh, your first purchase. Baseball, basketball, football tickets, and then also just uh, you know whatever else you would want. Concert tickets, comedy shows. Game time. It's where the game starts. Use that promo code locked on for $20 off and purchase your tickets there today. So it was announced yesterday by EA Sports. Uh, and they've been working on this for a while. Ever since NIL, name, image, name, image, and likeness, excuse me, came into the college sports world and 
college student athletes were able to start benefiting off their name, image, and likeness. They could work with businesses on advertisements, those types of things. People have speculated, what does it mean for NCAA football? Because uh, Ed O'Bannon, Chuck O'Bannon's dad famously um, sued the NCAA because they were using his picture on the cover of the NCAA basketball game. And he was like, hey, I'm not getting any money from this. I didn't authorize this. Nobody said anything to me. There's no agreement here. They shouldn't be using my picture, my name on this basketball game, advertising to sell it when I'm not getting a cut of it. And that went through a long, long process. But finally, the courts ruled the NCAA can't, they can't do this. They can't have these games that are using the likeness of these players without paying them. And so the game got discontinued. And it's been off the shelf for about a decade, 11 years. Last the last NCAA football game was in 2014. Um, about five or six years ago, maybe a little longer than that, I saw somebody was selling a PS2, a used PS2 on Craigslist for $20. I didn't have a gaming system anymore. I bought it. I bought it in the parking lot. And uh, it wasn't as shady as it sounds. But I bought it. And I bought it for the sole reason of I went to GameStop. I grabbed a couple of the old NCAA football games for like $2. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. I'm just going to play. And I did. And eventually, like when I got married and life changed, I retired that system. But I'm going to have to buy a PS5 now. I got a PS4, but I'm going to have to buy a PS5 because I'm going to have to play this game. And I remember playing NCAA football 2004 in Dynasty Mode with TCU. I had Lonta Hobbs as a running back. We won national title. We got invited to the Big 12. It was amazing. It's the best game ever. I hope they do it right. I know some people are concerned. I'm not really in the video game world anymore. I know some people are concerned about them using the Madden interface uh, for a lot of this because apparently that's sort of gone downhill through the years. But I'm stoked. I hope there's NIL. I hope there's a transfer portal. I hope all that stuff is included in this game. So they announced yesterday that in May they're going to have a full like release, like trailer, tell you when it's going to come down and it's probably going to drop in July. So get ready, get your PTO days ready because we're about to ride in a big way with NCAA football coming back on the shelves. We'll be back on Monday, hopefully recapping a lot of TCU sports goodness, a lot of wins. It's Lockdown Horn Frogs and it's your team every day.